20, verse 7. This evening we've been going through the Ten Commandments. The first commandment says, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Then it says in, in, number, in verse 4, Thou shalt not make into any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or is in earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. Then we get down to verse 7. We see the third commandment. Thou shalt not take the name of the, the, of the Lord thy God in vain. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. Father, we thank you for, again, your word, how precious it is. And these commandments, Lord, which are now thousands of years old, Lord, they're just as important as they, as they were in that day as they are in this day. Even though this was written to your people, the Jewish people, Israel, we know these are pertinent, Lord, to us today. God, help us, Lord, not to take your name in vain. Lord, not just in our words, but in our actions. As we look to your word, give us wisdom. Help us to know your truth better, have a better understanding, better grasp of what you're trying to communicate to us, the bride of Christ, the church, even today, through this commandment, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we know, of course, as we mentioned, uh, before, there are several type of laws that were given to Israel. Some were ceremonial laws, some that they used especially for the priests, the Levites. Some were dietary laws. Thank God we don't enter those anymore. There are no dietary laws. Now, should we, should we take care of ourselves? Naturally so. But there's nothing, as you read in Acts, and it was, it was that great sheep from the sky that Peter saw, which had all those animals in it, and He'd been used to not eating those things which are prescribed that you look at and you see in Leviticus that long list of things he could not eat and he'd never eaten since he was born as far as he knew and, the, and, and he said, not so, Lord. But God said, you know, what, I, what you say is what you, you call it unclean, but now I call it clean. So, and, and unfortunately, there's some Christians that try to go back to that. I hear some well-known Christians say, well, you ought to go back to the dietary laws. Now, I'm not saying these things aren't, aren't good to practice because God must have a reason for doing that. I'm not saying you shouldn't. I'm just saying you should never say somebody, you have to go back to that type of law. You have to be under that. You don't have to be under that. We're, we're not under that anymore. Uh, I'm sure there's some wisdom in some of that. But I'm going to eat bacon tomorrow morning at 9 o'clock, and if you don't want to, that's up to you. Okay, but you're not breaking a commandment by, by eating ham or barbecue. I'd be in trouble. I'd be out of a job as a chaplain at Sonny's if I couldn't, you know, eat bacon and ham and all that kind of stuff. And so I'm going to do it. But we're to this commandment of taking his, his name in vain. We're looking at the moral laws. And the moral laws are established not just for his people, but for us today. And again, these were given as a schoolmaster, as a, someone who would take a child to school to lead them to the place of salvation because we know that we cannot keep these. There's no way possible in this, in this week you probably somehow in some way have, have, have loved something else besides God. You've maybe not bowed down and worshipped it, but maybe you spent more time at it. Maybe it might be entertainment. Might be education, might be fun, might be food, might be something else. But we don't, we don't maybe not, it's not even like a totem pole or we're bound down or worshiping the sun or the moon or some false god, but maybe we're worshiping something, sometimes it's simply ourselves. As Brother Thomas was talking about the, the problem of pride this morning, 
The alternate verse, of course, we see in the, in the New Testament, Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, After this manner, therefore pray ye, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. So we're thinking about his name. God's name is holy. It's a holy name. It's a wonderful name. It's a, it's a beautiful name. So what is, what, is in, what is in it by the name? Why is a name so important? Well, first of all, it indicates identity. Aren't you glad when somebody comes up to you? I mean, and we, and we do it a lot, don't we? Because we sometimes forget each other's name. Um, I just did it. We sometimes, hey, brother, hey, sister, and that's kind of good. But another reason why I have a directory is to know people's name. Now, some of you have been here for a long time, and you don't know that person's name over there. Now, sometimes we just naturally forget it, okay? But we should, we should say our name say our names and tell people that it's hi how are you pete or marilena or nick or travis we should say your name because that identifies if i just say hey brother or hey sister i can say that to a lot of people but when you identify a name that's imp that's important because it identifies who you are it's it's it says who you are Secondly, it speaks of the integrity of character. Your name means something. When someone says a name to you, you automatically identify them. When someone says a name, uh, say Arnold Schwarzenegger, you think of Terminator. When you think of Kermit the Frog, well, you think of Frog. <laughs> Kermit in the name. When you, th when you think of somebody's name, you automatically, you automatically think of their character. So it not only identifies you, it speaks of their character. Some, some, is, some have character, some don't. The Bible says in Proverbs 22.1, A good name is rather to be chosen than great riches, a loving favor than silver or gold. You can have a good name, but in one moment lose that good name. It takes a lifetime to build a good name, a good testimony. But just in a few moments, you could lose that name. Think about David. We know him for his great name. He killed a giant, but also he committed adultery, took the life of Uriah the Hittite, lied about it, committed adultery, stole another man's wife. So you think about how great he was, but on the other hand, you have to think about how bad he, what bad things he did. There's a mixture, a mixture of that. Thirdly, it speaks of influence or authority. You authorize a document, you sign your name. It speaks of intimacy. When you know a person's name, you know them on a different level than just saying, hi, how are you? You know their name. It speaks of importance. When Angie married me or I married her, I gave her my name, indicating she was important to me. She went from being a goose to a moon. She changed. And we are different now. You are, you, we were pagans. We were lost. But now we're saved. We're Christians. We're different. Our name, the, the Christian, to be called a Christian is important. To be called a Baptist is important. We, know, we all know our Baptist history. That's why we encourage you, and I've encouraged you, but the Pete's encouraged you to read Trail of Blood. Why, what does it mean to be a Baptist? I spent about five or six weeks teaching on the acrostic of each word, spelling the word Baptist, and gave her a PowerPoint. And why it's important to be a Baptist. Why is a Baptist important? Actually, we're an independent, fundamental Baptist church. We're independent, meaning we're different. We're not tied to any organization. With the Southern Baptist Church, it gives typically 10% 
of their total gross income to a convention which, which makes decisions. They're supposed to send messengers or people to a convention to make votes over things like should a, should a woman be a pastor or not. We don't have to worry about that because no one outside tells us what to do or not, not do. We're independent Baptists, fundamental. What does it mean to be fundamental? We mean we stick to the fundamentals of the faith, meaning we believe the Bible. This is our, this is the book, the Word of God. It's our, it's our, our hope. It's what we, what we believe in. It's the, uh, the book of our faith and practice. So we study, we believe it, and we believe it naturally and 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 and. Um, in a sense, when we read it, we know exactly what it said. We don't, we don't read it and say, well, you know, the Bible says this, but it doesn't really mean that. It's like you pick up a, new, a, news, a newspaper, you read it naturally or literally. We naturally, literally, literally read the Word of God. So a name is important. The Bible says in Leviticus chapter 20, verse 3, I will set my face against the man, will cut him off among the people, because he hath given to his seed unto Molech to defile my sanctuary, to profane my holy name. God cares about his name. Why is his name so special? Why is God's name so special? Well, first of all, because his name will endure forever. Psalm 72, verse 17, his name will endure forever. His name shall be continued as long as the sun. The men shall be blessed in him. All nations shall call him blessed. Secondly, it's great. God's name is great. Psalm 76, verse 1, in Judah is God known. His name is great in Israel. It's holy and revered. Psalm 111.9, he sent redemption to his people. He hath commanded his covenant forever. Holy and, and reverend is his name. It's eternal. Isaiah 63, verse 16, Doubtless thou art our father through Abraham to be ignorant of us. And Israel, acknowledge us. Thou, O Lord, art our father, our redeemer. Thy name is everlasting. There's security in his name. Where do you run to when you're in trouble? The person who says, oh, this is just hocus pocus. All this religion is hocus pocus. But then he gets the news from his doctor. He has to make a decision whether his wife dies during the pregnancy or his child dies in pregnancy. At that moment, I bet that atheist or agnostic bows his head and says, God help me. Because where else is he to go but God? There's security in his name. Proverbs 18, verse 10, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run unto it and is safe. Because his name is so special, what, is that, what, what, is that, what should that cause us to do? His name is special. We've, just, we've given you the reasons why. But because it's special, what should that challenge us to do? Well, first of all, we should sing praises to his name. Amen? Psalm 9, verse 2, I will be glad and rejoice in thee. I will sing praise to thy name, O thou must hide. Instead of singing rock and roll, how about sing rock of ages? Clef for me. Let me hide myself in thee. Rock and roll will be gone someday, but these old songs of Zion and the Psalms will live forever and ever and ever. Oh, praise God when rap music and country music is gone, but the gospel and the gospel hymns and spiritual songs will live forever and ever and ever. And we'll be singing the praises of Jesus forever and ever and ever. Give glory and exalt his name. Psalm 29, verse 2, Give the Lord his glory, do his name. Worship the Lord in the beauty of his holiness. We should trust in his name because it's special. Psalm 33, verse 21, For our hearts shall rejoice in him because we have trusted in his holy name. We're to wait on his name. 
And probably one of the most difficult things to do as a Christian when you're going through a time of, tr- of difficulty and problem is to wait because we're impatient. We want, our, we want our burger with the pickle and mayonnaise and mustard just the way we want it. We want it yesterday. We want it, but if you go to Popeye's Chicken, you're going to have to wait a little while. You're going to have to wait a little while. But we, we're, we're supposed to wait on the Lord. Psalm 52, verse 9, I will praise thee forever because thou hast done it. I will wait on thy name for it is good before the saints. We're to love his name. Psalm 69, verse 36, the seed also of a servant shall inherit it, and they that love his name shall dwell therein. We are to seek his name. Psalm 83, verse 16, fill their faces with shame that they may seek thy name, O Lord. Do you seek his name? Do you seek after him? Do you revere his name? We should revere it in Psalm 86, verse 11. Teach me thy way, O Lord. I will walk in thy truth. Unite my heart to fear thy name. Those are just a few. I could give you more. But we're saved. Aren't you glad we're saved by his name, through his name? It should come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Acts 4, 12, verse we know well, neither is salvation to any other. For there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. So our Lord Jesus is the Savior of the world. He's given all things to man, supplying every need that we have in our lives and all things to all men, supplying everything that we have and we simply trust him. To the architect, he's a chief cornerstone. To the artist, he's altogether lovely. To the astronomer, he's a bright and morning star and the sun of righteousness that brings light into darkness. To the baker, he's the bread of life. To the builder, he's a sure foundation. To the carpenter, he's the door. To the defendant, he's a righteous judge. To the doctor, he's a great physician. To the electron, he's an electrician. He's the light of the world. To the farmer, he's a sower of the Lord of the harvest, bearing fruit in our lives. To the fireman, he's the water of life that quenches the thirst created by life. To the fisherman, he's the calmer of the sea and the one who used the waves for sidewalks. To the florist, he's the lily of the valley and the rose of Sharon that brings fragrance into our life. To the geologist, he's the rock of ages. To the historian, he's the ancients of days. To the juror, he's the faith, faithful and true witness. To the lawyer, he's the advocate and mediator. To the merchant, he's the pearl of great price. To the reporter, he's the good tidings of great joy. To the pharmacist, he's the bomb of Gilead that heals the sick. Sin soul. To the philosopher, he's the wisdom of God that gives us discernment to make right choices. To the printer, he's the word of God, the Alpha and Omega. To the publisher, he's the author. To the cowboy, he's the owner of cattle in a thousand years. To the king of kings, he's the king of kings and lord of lords. To the scientist, he's the creator of all things. To the shepherd, he's the lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. To the sailor, he's the anchor of the soul. To the soldier, he's the captain of our salvation and shield. To the student, He's the truth. To the traveler, he's the narrow way. To the United Nations, he's the peace. And to the theologist, he's the lion of the tribe of Judah. He's my king. He's my Lord and my Savior. I'm so thankful. He's mine. And dear friend, if you know him today, he's yours. And you can never lose him. And he will never forsake you. Oh, how wonderful he is. That's just his name. But what does it mean to take his name in vain? In vain means to misuse or use without purpose. God's enemies take his name in vain. Psalm 139 verse 20, for they speak against thee wickedly and thine enemies take thy name in vain. There's no no one member of the body that breaks forth 
more dishonoring God's name than that little member that we find in our mouth called the tongue. James 3.8, For the tongue can no man tame, for it is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. Our tongue has the ability to praise him. We praise him with our name or be profane to adore or to abuse, to bless or blaspheme, to magnify or malign, to sing or scorn, to revere or reproach, to respect or ridicule God's holy name. It's those little things. It's that fly that comes in that bothers you when you're in the kitchen you try to kill. It's that little cockroach you find in your closet that you try to destroy. That you hope before you go to bed tonight is still not in there because you won't get any sleep because you think it's still in there. That aching tooth. Oh, that just that little tooth. But oh, if you ever had a toothache, that little tooth or that little pinky toe that you stub in the middle of the night when you walk through the darkness to the restroom and you stub it. You think, oh, that little pinky toe doesn't matter, but you stub it. And you'll, you'll let you know the rest of the week. It's that mischievous little mosquito that you hear buzzing around your head. You try to snatch at it, but you can't catch it. Oh, that's like the tongue. It's so small, but so, so much damage it does. The Bible says in, in Psalm 52 verse, 52, verse 2, the tongue divides mischiefs like a sharp razor, worketh deceitfully. Proverbs 18, 21, death. And life, for in the power of the tongue, they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. Beloved, our tongues are not to be used to speak God's name in vain. How does one take God's name in vain? First of all, and primarily when we speak irreverently of his name, we take it in vain. Psalm 15, verse 1, the mighty God, even the Lord, has spoken. He called the earth from the rising of the sun even to going down thereof. We speak it irreverently. We should be careful how we speak God's name. Very careful. Don't use it in a, don't use it just to use it. The world does this constantly, but you know, even Christians sometimes get caught in this. You shouldn't say God's name or the Lord's name or the Holy Spirit's name unless you're specifically using it for holy practice. It shouldn't be used just, just to, for a joke. It shouldn't be used irreverently. It, sh it shouldn't be used as just, as just something to, as a filler. You know, sometimes people just use filler words. Uh, I don't know, because they just get in the habit of saying things probably shouldn't, but just be careful about that. We say we, we, we profess, we profane God's name, but we don't, when we, we, we say God's name in vain when we, we don't, when we profess God, but we don't, we don't live like we should for God. The Bible says in Titus 1.16, they profess to know God, but in works they deny him being abominable and disobedient unto every good work reprobate. So it's one thing to you say, I, I, I know God with, your, with our lips, but we don't live for God in our life. That's, that's, that's living a double standard. It's living a double standard. And that's what exactly what happened with God with David and he, that's why he got rebuked. And the Bible says it was a great occasion when, when David sinned against uh, Uriah the Hittite and committed adultery. The Bible says that Nathaniel said in 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 14, How about because of this deed thou hast caused, thou hast given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, the child that, that is born unto thee shall surely die. Also in Nehemiah chapter 5, verse 9, also 
Also, I said, it is good that ye do, ought ye not to walk in the fear of our God because of the reproach of the heathen, of our enemies. We don't want to give ammunition to the enemies to blaspheme his name. You know the adversary, the accuser of the brethren? He brings false, false accusations. He brings accusations before God. Remember Job? Remember Job? He brought accusations. He was trying to bring in accusations against, against, Job, against Job. The Job would curse him to his face if he, if he touched his body. Remember that? I wonder, do we give the devil ammunition to go and say, you, you see what those people are doing down at North Greenville Baptist Church? They praise God on Sunday morning, but when they go home at night, they do this, this, and this, and this. Do we give the devil ammunition? Do we give our enemies ammunition who shames the name of Christ? Romans chapter 2, verse 23, Thou makest thy boast of the law through breaking the law of dishonor, dishonorest thou God, for the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles through you, as it is written. When the heathen saw the hypocritical Jews who professed to be God's people behave in a blatantly scandalous manner, it made them speak evil of God. The Lord's name was dishonored. The same problem exists today in our lives. Because you know, friends, we're ambassadors of God. We're ambassadors of God. Chapter 5, verse 20. Now you are ambassadors for Christ, and those God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead, be you reconciled to God. So we live our lives in such a manner that when they see us by, by the grace of God, we live in a way that will not reproach the name of God. That's what we're supposed to do. How do we do that? By keeping clear conscience. I mentioned this many times. The importance on a daily basis, a regular basis, to keep a clean, pure conscience. Not just with God, which is important, but secondly, with man. If you've wronged somebody, make it right. First, make it right with God, and secondly, make it right with God. And this is what Paul did continually in Acts chapter 24, verse 16. Here do I exercise myself to always a conscience void of offense towards God and towards men. That word void of offense comes from the Greek word, which means having nothing to strike against or stumble over. Have you given anyone... Anything to strike against or stumble over because they mention your name. You did something at work. Everybody knows it. You ain't made it right. You did something in your family. You made a spectacle of yourself last Thanksgiving or last Christmas. You said some things you should not have said. You did some things you should not have did. Have you gone right since it's been now halfway through the year? Have you made it right? Have you called that person who you offended, who you know you offended, but because of your pride, you won't go, you won't call them, you won't text them, you won't message them and say, I was wrong. Let's practice it. Ready? I was wrong. Now, you just did it before all these folks. Now, go do it privately. Now, dear friend, if you're not saying those words on a regular basis, something's not right. You're like a man who's been out there working in the heat this time of year. After about 30 minutes, you come inside. You don't smell so right, so good. And that's what happens spiritually if you don't take care of sin problems on a regular, daily basis. Don't be an offense. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 12, our rejoicing is this, the testimony of our conscience, that in simplicity and godly sincerity, not with fleshly wisdom, but by the grace of God, we have had our conversation, our life, 
in the world, a lifestyle in the world, and more abundantly towards you. First Peter 3.16, have a conscience that whereas they speak evil of you as evildoers. If somebody come to me and say, so-and-so, so-and-so did this and that, and I knew you as a man or woman of character, I could say it just right off the bat. No, that's not them. That's what Peter is saying. Having a good conscience that where evil speak of you as evildoers, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse your good conversation. That's your lifestyle in Christ. You have such a good lifestyle and, and, and purity of life that when someone comes to, comes to another person and says, you know, you know somebody said that, they say, no, you're wrong. They don't believe. Because you have such a consistent life in Christ. Now, if you don't have that consistent life in Christ, and somebody comes and they say, well, what about so-and-so did this? Then they say, well, maybe they did. Because you're not consistent in Christ. Your conversation is light. Well, you don't show up when you should show up. When, you, when, when someone tells you to do something, you don't take the advice. When you're supposed to be there at a certain place, certain time, you're rarely there at a certain place at a certain time. When you're asked to do something, you don't do it. You say, man, that's, that, that's, that sounds childish. Well, sometimes people in their 50s, 60s, and 70s act childish. And that goes against their name. Your friend, your reputation, your name means something. It means a lot. Your whole world is wrapped up in your name. That's why you ought to live holy and righteous and godly in this, in this dark and wicked world that we live in. And be above reproach. Be above reproach. Where you go matters. What you do matters. How you live your life matters. How you speak matters. Don't give in this gift. Don't give into this moment. Always all under grace. Well, thank God for grace, dear friend. But Paul said, Should I continue in sin that grace may abound? He said, God forbid. Don't say, Well, grace, God will forgive me. God will forgive me. God forgive me. Yeah, God forgive you, but that unsaved person down the road that you've been trying to witness to sees your hypocrisy and they'll, and they'll say, I'll go to hell before I become a Christian. How do I know that? Because I knock on their door. And I say, they want you to come to North Gainesville Baptist Church. And I say, you see that person over there? They say they're Christian, but they never, they've been here for five years. They never walked over and told me about Jesus one time. They say they're Christians, but man, they won't. You see, you see their grass? It's this high. The worldly folks care more about their lawn than Christian folks. And you go inside their house, don't go inside their house. I'm afraid to go in some houses. I might never come out. And that's Christian folk. Dear friend, the world has a certain standard. We ought to be above that. We ought to be above that. When we worship, third, when we worship with our lips, with not our heart, we take God's name in vain. Proverbs 23, verse 26. My son, give me my heart. Let not thy eyes observe my ways. What is he saying? Basically, when we just go through the motions. We talk about this at communion a lot of times. We just go through the motions of, okay, we, we do communion, you know, four or five times a, a year. And we talk about the bread and the wine. But it doesn't it really matter anymore. We just kind of go through the, we just go through it. And this is very, sometimes a struggle with second and third generation Christians because you've heard it all your life. You've sung trust and obey. You've sung victory in Jesus. You've sung rock of ages. You've sung amazing grace. You've sung these songs all many times. And now when the song is sang, you just mouth it. You just mouth it. But it doesn't come from your heart. That's, a, that's, that's not what God wants. 
He, he, wants, he wants more than just lips. He wants your heart. The Bible says in Matthew 15, 8 and 9, the people draw nigh to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain they do worship me, teaching the doctrines and commandments of men. God wants your heart. Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. James 1, 26, 1, verse, chap, uh, chapter 1, verse 26, If any man among you seem to be religious, and, and brighteth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain. Fourth, fourth, we take God's name in vain when we use his name in idle discourse or just minced, a minced man, or we just flippantly say it. Fifth, when we pray to the Lord but do not believe him, we take his name in vain. When we people say, oh, I want to pray about it. Some people, some people just say, well, I'm just going to pray about it. But they're not really going to pray about it. Or they say, I'm going to pray about it, but they don't believe God is actually going to do it. The Bible says about this in, in Romans chapter 4, verse 20, He staggered not the promise of God, talking about Abraham, through unbelief. It was strong in faith, giving glory to God. 1 John 5, 10, He that believeth the Son of God hath witness in him. He that believeth not God hath made him a liar, because he believeth not the record that God gave of his Son. Do we believe God will supply the need? Do you trust him that he will do what he says? Philippians chapter 4 verse 19, My God shall supply all your need according to his riches uh, by glory, in glory by Christ Jesus. Philippians 4 13, I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. God instructs us how to pray, the right type of prayer. In John chapter 14 verse 13, What you ask in my name? That will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If he shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. You say, well, okay, I'm going to start. I need a Mercedes right now. Well, then he knows your heart. See, if you're asking out of a lust and out of, out of your own uh, desires, that's one thing. But if you're asking out of, genuine, out of a genuine heart that loves God, because if, if you had a heart that loves God, you wouldn't ask for that. Because sometimes you ask for stuff that's, that's amiss. As I've told the story, I wanted a moped so bad when I was a teenager, but if I had that moped, I probably wouldn't be preaching behind this pulpit. Because God gives you what's best for you. Any father, any mother who gives their child everything, spoils their kid, that's the worst kid in the world. No one likes a spoiled brat. No one likes a spoiled brat. No, sometimes as a good parent, you have to use that one of the most important words in the, in the English dictionary. You know what that word is? No. You can't have it. I think I want a snake. Eric, Eric will never say those words. <laughs> the word is no. No, 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 no. Sometimes it's best to say no. Six, we profane or abuse God's name when we take his name in vain. I mentioned this. First Timothy chapter 6, verse 1. But as many servants are under the yoke, count their own masters worthy of all honor. The name of God and his doctrine be not blasphemed. We take his name, number seven, by swearing or by perjury. Leviticus, Leviticus 19, 12. You shall not answer by the name falsely, neither shall thy profane thy name of thy, of thy God. I am the Lord. We take his name, number eight. We, we, when we prefix God's name to any wicked action, we just, we just say, well, you know, in God's name, I'm going to do this. Absalom was guilty of this. In 2 Samuel chapter 15, verse 7, it came to pass over 40 years that Absalom said to the king, I pray thee, let me go and, and pay my vow, which I have vowed unto the Lord in Hebron. We, we, say, well, the, the Lord, we say, well, the Lord wants me to do it. 
And you don't know what they wish you to do. You just use his name as an excuse to do what you want to do. I hear it sometimes, even among preachers, oh, the Lord wants me to do it. Are you sure it's the Lord talking to you or that pizza last night? Anybody, when you bring God into it, you best be sure it's God leading you to do it. You're not just saying because it sounds spiritual, and that's what you think you ought to do. I've seen people make decisions, and they say, Lord, and I knew the Lord wasn't in that. When you're leaving your wife to go be with some other man's wife, and you say the Lord was in it, that wasn't the Lord. That ain't, the Lord's not in that. And I see people stealing and lying and cheating, and they say, well, the Lord want me to do it. No, the Lord ain't in this. The Lord doesn't want you to sin. That's, the Lord is not in that kind of stuff. Now we take his name in vain when we speak evil of God. Numbers 21, verse 5, and the, and the people spake against God and against Moses, where we have brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness. So there's no bread, neither is there any water, and our soul loatheth. This light bread? Well, it was because God had led them to this place. And now they're blaming God for their problems. Oh, dear friend, never get to the place in your bitterness because of bad decisions, because of just the issues of life that you blame God and get upset. Sometimes people do that. We see his name. We see that which is in vain. But we see the shame of it. We see the shame of it. Because the Bible says in Matthew chapter 12, verse 36, I say unto you that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give an account thereof in the day of judgment. For by the words they shall be justified, and by thy words they shall be condemned. You know God keeps a record of your words. Think about that. Everything you said today, God keeps a record of that. Everything you text today, God keeps a record of that. Everything you messaged last night at 12 o'clock, God keeps a record of that. How do you feel about that? How do you feel about God knowing everything you said and, write, and it'd be written down all last week, all last month, all last year? Is there anything you wish you had a magic eraser you could take back? Is there anything you said that you could go back to somebody and said, you know what, I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have done that. Dear friend, that's what's important by having a clear conscience before God and before man. We can make lots of bad decisions by, by misusing that little member in our mouth called the tongue. And it doesn't take a lot. It takes one bad decision. That's a moment of anger, a time of pride. It's the small things and oftentimes our worst enemy is not the devil. It's not Joe Biden. It's not the government. It's not the liberals. It's not the Democrats. Our worst enemy is a person you get up and see and look in the mirror and see every day. We are our own worst enemy. I heard an interesting story. You heard names like, Muhammad Ali, George Foreman, Sugar Ray Leonard, Mike Tyson. But I never heard of this guy by the name of C.D. Blaylock. He's not as well known, but in the 1930s, Blaylock stepped into the ring. He's getting ready to knock this guy out. He swung so wildly that when he swung, he missed the person and came back and knocked himself out. <laughs> Look it up. You think that that's funny, isn't it? 
you know what? That's what we do as Christians. We knock ourselves out. The devil made me do it. No. I was tempted. No. The economy. No. The government. No. My parents. No. You. And me. We are our worst enemy. The question is, when are we going to admit it and quit blaming others for our problems? Father, we thank you, God, for your goodness. Thank you for your mercy and your love. Oh, God, help us not to take your name in vain. By our lips or by our lifestyle. God, woe is me. Woe is me, Isaiah said, for I am undone. I'm a man with unclean lips. I live in a land where people have unclean lips. When's the last time you honestly confessed your own sin? It's easy to see the sin of your brother, your mother, your father, your friend. Oh, look what they're doing. Oh, look at their hypocrisy. Look at their life. Look at their lies. When's the last time you took stock of yourself? Confess our sins. He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us small and righteous. It starts, first of all, by being born again. Do you know Christ is your Savior? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Do you believe?